As you're getting to your seat, if you have a Bible, I'm going to encourage you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seats in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, we want you to take that one home with you because uh, we always love giving away (coughs) copies of God's Word, and uh, we would just love for you to take that with you today. For the past several weeks, we have been in this (coughs) sermon series out of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where he sat and preached uh, a sermon uh, to a crowd of people and to his disciples, and he shared with them many things of which we'll walk through over the next several months uh, in different sermon series that we're going we're gonna to do this year. But uh, this beginning beatitude section where Jesus said, if you will live in a way that I desire, I will bless you and I will reward you. And so he gave some very clear instructions about uh, being poor in spirit, mourning over our sin, uh, coming under the authority of a heavenly father. And so there is a process here that Jesus walks us through beginning in verse 3 where he says that we need to admit that we need Jesus. We need to admit that we need a Savior. We need to be sorry, verse 4, that we have done things wrong. And verse 5, understand that we need a Savior. Uh, and there's a process that he walks through, and then he, he begins to tell about how when we begin to uh, have our heart changed by the blood of Jesus covering our sin and transforming our lives, that there is a transformation that happens, and we begin to do things that maybe were not our nature, as in being merciful to those who need mercy, of having a pure heart because we are being changed by the power of the gospel alive in our lives, and it begins to make us into a different person. And when we get to verse 9, he says that we are blessed when we are peacemakers. Let's just read beginning in verse 9. It says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you for uh, uh, you uh, excuse me against you falsely on my account rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you I want us to begin in verse 9 because that process that began in our heart of following Christ and having our lives transformed by the power of Jesus work in us that forgiveness that grace begins to work on us and we begin to be changed into peacemakers and so he says blessed are the peacemakers and I want you to know that that peace comes at a very high price you see the world that we live in is is a desiring world of peace. They, they desire to have a peace in their life. We, we hear about peace uh, in the world. We, we desire that there would be no war, that there would be no more conflict, and that there would be peace. But greater than that in our nation, there is this desire for peace, that there would be peace among our own people, that there would be peace in our nation that would permeate. But even closer to home is the peace that we individually desire in following Christ and in, and in having our lives transformed by him, there is a peace that comes to us. And though, so whether you knew it or not, built in you is a design to be at peace. There is a design to live at peace with God, at peace with the world. 
And it does, doesn't come by crossing your legs and sitting in a, a room filled with incense and, hum, and humming. It comes when Jesus comes into your heart. He forgives you of all your sins and he begins the transformation in your life of making you more like him. But I want you to note that peace came at a very high price. You see, God recognized that we would need peace, that we would need someone to be a peacemaker for us. And Jesus came and he was crucified so that we might have peace. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And Jesus came to help us make peace with God by dying on the cross for our sins. And so the, the faith that we need, the peace that we need with God comes from Jesus going to the cross for you and for me and making a way for us to know the peace of God in our lives. Colossians chapter 1 verse 20 Paul told this church at Colossae, Jesus made peace by the blood of the cross. In other words, what he did by dying on that hill that day for you and for me has brought us peace. And that peace was very costly. You see, for us to be peacemakers, there has to begin with the peace in our own heart. And this morning, I want you to understand that Personal peace with God begins at the cross. As I said a moment ago, verse 3 helps us see our need for God. Verse 4 helps us see that we need to repent of our sin and be sorry of what we've done. Verse 5 says that we begin to live under the authority of an almighty God, that He is in control and we are not. He can forgive sin, we cannot. He can make us right, we cannot do that on our own. And so this progression comes down to verse 9 where Jesus said that when you begin to live your life in the way that I desire for you to live and that I will bless you in that process, that I will change you, I will transform you, I will reward you, what begins to happen is that when we get to verse 9, what happens is that we are transformed into being used by God to be a maker of peace to be a a vehicle of peace, but it begins in our heart. Paul wrote this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. He said, the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. I remember when I was a little boy at five years old, as if it was today, I remember what the church looked like. I remember kneeling at the altar. I remember praying with my dad and asking Jesus into my heart. And, and however bad you could be at five, year old, five years old, I wasn't a bad kid, but I, I recognized at that moment that there was sin in my life and that without a Savior that I would go to hell. And I remember the peace that came over me. And that wasn't just a one-time experience that I understood the peace of God. In fact, my salvation began there. But the peace of God came into my life daily, many, many, many times over. I can remember coming to God and saying, God, look, I've made a mess. And God says, listen, my peace be on you. I forgive you. I give you that second chance. Paul says in Philippians 4, 7, that when we come to Christ, there is a peace of God that begins to guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. The promise is that when we begin to become a person of peace and that we begin to have peace with God, that our lives are, are guarded by the Lord Jesus Christ, that we gain from him a protection and a blessing that we did not deserve. You see, the world is searching for peace and they will never find peace apart from God. 
They will not find peace in the uh, possessions of this world or the accomplishments of this world or in other religions. I want you to know that peace only comes when God in heaven and you are on the right terms. And then God will begin to guard your heart. You see, the journey of peace begins and ends with Jesus. So we have to have a personal peace. And then we are able to have peace with others. Here's my experience in my 40 years of life. I've understood that there are uh, people in this world who are motivators of peace, and there are other people who are motivators of conflict. Have you ever noticed or been around somebody who is a motivator of conflict? They're an instigator. I mean, they're, they're out to cause trouble. I mean, everywhere they go, they want to stir up a little trouble. They want to try to see things get mixed up. They want to try to see a little, uh, a little emotion. They want to try to bring things to a, a different level. Unfortunately, that's not just something that happens to people who don't know Jesus. Unfortunately, we see the instigator or the motivator of conflict even within the church. And if you will study your church history throughout time, the problems have not necessarily always come from the outside. There have been motivators of conflict from within the church. And I want you to know that we don't want to be the kind of people as a Connection Church body of believers who are motivators of conflict. We want to be motivators of the gospel. We want to be motivators of peace. We want to be motivators who are pointing people towards Jesus, not away from Jesus. And what happens, and and I know this from personal experience, what happens in church is that we forget that this is all about Jesus. This is all about the gospel. This is all about trying to reach the world for Christ. And we begin to think that it's all about us. And what happens is we show up on Sunday morning and there's nobody here who doesn't know Jesus. And so there becomes this holy huddle of Christians and nobody's inviting their friends who don't know Jesus to come and hear of the amazing gospel that has transformed our lives. And so we have this holy country club huddle of people who are all the same and we end up being not what God wanted us to be. And so then we begin to think it's all about us and not about them and we're holier than they are and they're just, they're just sinners in need of Jesus and we need to... Uh, disconnect ourselves from them and focus more, more upon ourselves. Listen, that's not what church is supposed to be like. In fact, if you study your gospel, what Jesus did was he went to the people that nobody else wanted, and that's who he hung out with. You don't see Jesus spend a lot of time at church, and that's because they had lost the focus. They had forgotten it was about God, and they thought it was about them. They began to make a, a, uh, their own rules, and they began to focus on inward instead of outward. Listen, the day that we forget that the world is in need of Jesus is the day we need to close the doors because that's what God has us here for so that we can tell the world of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we don't want to be a motivator of conflict. We want to be a motivator of peace. Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. He said, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with all men. You see, peacemakers are people who are living at peace not because they are weak, peace does not, just like we said a few weeks ago, that meekness does not equal weakness. In other words, just because we are going to be meek does not mean that we cower down and we take everything the world gives us. In fact, it means that we fight under the authority of a heavenly warrior God and we are following him into battle to do battle with the world. What happens is that when we become peacemakers, that we just look at how we love and how we serve from a different way. 
It doesn't mean that we look and say, hey, we, we condone your sin. It doesn't mean that we say you can live however you want to, that you can ignore what God says is right or wrong in God's word. It does not mean that at all. What it means is that we uh, tell the truth, but we tell it in love. Let me tell you what your pastor wants to do. That's me. What I want to do is I want to teach the truth to you. And I want to tell you the truth because if I didn't, then it wouldn't be love. In fact, if I said, hey, live however you want, and I'm watching as you drive your life off the edge of a cliff and just smile and say, love Jesus, John 3.16, you know, I got the sign, you know, yay, yay, God. You know, if I just did that and let you crash your life, would that really be love? No, it wouldn't. Love is saying, you know what, man, you're headed in a wrong way. You're headed down the wrong path. And I love you too much not to tell you, okay? Now, that doesn't mean that I'm holy and you're not. What that means is that as believers in Jesus Christ, that we love each other, that we live in community, and when we see one of our brothers or our sisters struggling or living in a, in a lifestyle that they shouldn't, that we say to them in love, listen, I'm praying for you, and I want you to know God's word says this, but this is a place of grace, and we want God to do the work in your life so that you can be changed by the power of the gospel. Here's what I believe, and this is my wholehearted belief. Don't miss this. I believe that the power of the gospel is big enough to change anyone's life. That, that, that God can do whatever he wants. Listen, I don't know about you, but the Holy Spirit in my life does not need any help. The convictor of sin does a great job all by himself. He doesn't need some holy church-going person to tell me what's right or what's wrong. The Bible shows me the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, and I've never met anybody who doesn't understand their own sin. But our job as a church is to stand on the truth of God, to preach and teach the truth of God, but to love people in the midst of that. When you look at Jesus, he's spending time with people who had made a royal mess of their lives. In fact, if you look at his 12 disciples, it's like he went down and picked out the rowdiest crew he could find, brought them together, redeemed them, and made them effective for the kingdom of God because that's the way God does business. See, as a church, that's what we need to be. We need to be looking to the world and saying, who does the world thrown away? Because God's grace is enough. And this should be a place of grace. See, it's not our job to judge. Our job is to live lives that honor Jesus. It's not our job to judge. It's our job to love people like Jesus loves people. It's not our job to judge, but it's our job to stand up for truth and to share the gospel and to pray for God to work in us and through us. That's what it means to make peace. See, when we begin to live as a person of peace, there is a desire in our lives for God's peace to be in someone else's life. You see, the thing that I experienced as a young boy and that has been a part of my life uh, throughout the majority of my life is that I have a peace that I want other people to have. I want them to have the forgiveness that I have experienced. I want them to receive the grace that I have received. I want them to begin to have a peace in their heart that passes the world's understanding. I want the world to have that. I don't just want us to have it at church on Sunday. I want us to live it during the week. I want when my life crashes and everything's falling down around me for me to have this weird peace because God is near me. And for the world to go, man, I don't know what he's got, but I want some of it. Because the world is in chaos, and they need Jesus. 
You see, a person of peace desires for God's peace to be in others' lives. And they begin to promote the good news. You see, what normally happens with the person of peace is that they're not always out in front. They're not always the person that, that you see on the front lines. What you see is the person of peace working behind the scenes. They're loving the unlovely. They're doing things that nobody knows about. They're helping. They're being generous. They're, they're loving people when nobody else is watching. That's what a person of peace looks like. It's those small acts. It's that humble lifestyle. It's behind the scenes. And they begin to promote the good news. Can I just talk honestly with you, church, this morning? For most believers that I know, we need a good dose of good news. We need a good dose of positive information. We need a good dose of optimism. You've been watching way too much CNN and Fox TV, and you got this chicken little syndrome that the world, you know, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, and everything's coming down. Here's what I want you to tell you. Listen to me. Paul said in Romans chapter 13 that God is the God of all creation and that he is in charge. It's not the president of the United States or who's elected in Congress or who our next president is or which political party side you're on. Listen to me. God is still in charge and it doesn't matter who we elect to go to Washington, who is the kings of the world. God is still in charge and one political system is not going to fix it and make the other one right or wrong. What's going to happen is the world's going to come to to an end and at the end of time what's going to really be important is who knows Jesus and who doesn't know Jesus. So as you're watching all these debates on TV, as I'm watching and you're getting frustrated and you say, I just wish I could vote and I wish there was somebody worth voting for or whatever you're thinking, it really, really, really doesn't matter because God's still in charge. Do we need to fight for what's right? Yes. Do we need to to, uh, be uh, active in how we vote? Yes. I'm not saying don't vote. Here's what I'm saying though. Man, I listen to some people and they just watch too much of the news and they're, they just think everything's about to fall apart. Listen, as if God has left the throne and God is still in charge. We need a good dose of optimism in the church because we have the best news. Jesus is still Lord and the only way to heaven is through Jesus. And you can have grace and forgiveness and peace because Jesus is alive. Amen? All right. Because that's what God wants us to see, a person of peace doesn't get caught up in what is the latest thing, but realizes that God is still in charge and that heaven and earth will pass away and all will become new. And in the end, all that matters is that Jesus is Lord and Savior of all. You see, a person of peace, as he says in verse 9, gets the reward that they will be called the sons of God. Now, I don't want you to miss, miss this because this is very important. Some versions say children of God, and I think that's a bad translation, and I'll tell you why. In Jewish culture, children really did not have much say. They did not have much authority. They were children. They were, uh, they were just kind of uh, there, okay? But a son had great authority. A son was in line for the inheritance. A son had the ability to not only take the, the uh, reins of the family, but also got the characteristics and the blessings of being a son. And so when Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons and or daughters of God, okay? 
What he's saying is that when you begin to live like Christ, you begin to look like Christ. You gain the characteristics of your heavenly father. And so when I look at my children and I look at how much they look like me and how much they act like me and their mannerisms begin to reflect me because I am their father and I pour into their lives, hopefully the reflection is a good reflection, not a poor reflection, but they look like me. They act like me because I am their father. As we begin to be people of peace, we begin to take on the characteristics of God. And Jesus said, listen to this, we get adopted in, Ephesians uh, 1 says, into the holy family of God, and we get the authority of becoming the characters like God. So children, not good translation, son or daughter of God means that you are becoming like Christ. Why? Because God is the maker of all peace. And when we begin to become peacemakers, we not only act like him, but we begin to take the characteristics of him. We are inheriting the characteristics of our father. Now look at verse 10. Verse 10 begins to talk about something we don't really want to talk about, persecution. Verse 10 says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Jason's going to come, Jason Ford's going to come, and he's going to share with us a story in just a moment. But John chapter 15, Jesus said this. Jesus said, if the world hates you, then know it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know who sent me. John chapter 15, verses 18 through 21. You see, Jesus said, you will be persecuted because I, have, I was persecuted. And there is nothing that you are going to go through that Jesus has not already gone through. In fact, in fact, he went through worse. He died on the cross for the sins of the world, and most of us are not going to die on a cross. In fact, I'm going to talk to you in a minute. Ago, in a minute I don't even think we really even know what persecution means. Because persecution, persecuted for righteousness, verse 10, does not mean religious fanaticism. Persecution for righteousness does not mean Bible thumping. It does not mean boycotting somebody because you don't believe in their moral things. Although those things may be important to you, I want you to know that's not persecution for righteousness' sake. Persecution for righteousness is taking a hit because you love Jesus and you're willing to stand in the gap even when the hard times come. Jason, would you come share a story about a friend of yours in Laos? I want to tell you about a man named Noy. I've not actually met Noy, but I had the privilege to meet his wife and his daughter. Noy lives in the, a pretty remote area in northern Laos, but he was a communist official in the provincial level, pretty high up member of the Communist Party there in Laos and an official there. But uh, somebody shared with him the gospel of Jesus Christ, and his life was radically changed. He left the Communist Party and began preaching and became an evangelist and a very effective one and began to share all over his area of northern Laos. And lives were being changed. People were coming to Christ. Whole villages were turning to Christ through this man's testimony. It was incredible to see. But the local communist authorities, they hated that. They hated the fact that one of their men had stepped away from the party and had become a very, very vocal follower of Jesus Christ. And so one day when uh, Pastor Noy was taking two young men down to the capital city for some Bible training, 
on the bus, the bus was stopped, and he was arrested for human trafficking. He wasn't trafficking humans. He was just taking these two young guys down to uh, study the Bible, but that's what they accused him of, and uh, they um, gave him 15 years in prison. And at the time when I met his wife and daughter, he had served 13 years. That was about a year ago. And so he, Pastor Noy still has one more year in prison. His health has declined. He's uh, lost some teeth and his vision's going. But even in that prison, Pastor Noy has been faithful, a faithful follower of Jesus Christ and sharing with guards in that place and with folks there and trying to have even a little Christmas party in that prison in northern Laos. And it's just been incredible to see his testimony and his faithfulness has led over 3,000 people in that area are now followers of Jesus Christ because of his faithfulness Mm. and his willingness to be persecuted for the wonderful name of Jesus. Wow. We have in our midst today Pastor Alex, who is from Moldova. He's sitting over here on the couch. Pastor was telling me uh, Friday about uh, the, the journey he's had in living in, in an area that's communist control. And he was telling me the story about his uh, father, who is a pastor, who went to jail many times because of his faith, because of the steps in, in uh, their country. Uh, when the uh, church would make a mistake, they threw the pastor in jail. They didn't throw everybody else in jail. They'd throw the pastor in jail. And one time they got in trouble for doing the wrong thing with the Communist Party, and the Communist Party took their building away, and they began to meet in homes and just began to beg the government to give us our building back the day before they were supposed to gain their building back. The Communist Party in their city came in and bulldozed the church so that they would not have a building to give back to them the next day. We don't know what persecution is. None of you are afraid today that you're going to go to jail because you're here and we're talking about Jesus and we have copies of God's Word in our hand. We don't understand what persecution really looks like. But we should pray for those around the world who are under persecution because there are people today who will go to jail. There are people who will lose their lives because they proclaim and profess the name of Jesus to be Lord and Savior of their lives. You see, but I think that the greater danger for the American church is the lack of persecution because it causes complacency in our lives. What happens because we are not persecuted is that we become complacent and self-centered in our walk with Christ and we uh, no longer have the desire to share the gospel. What's happened in our world is where a hundred years ago the church was the center of the community. It was the center of society. Everything around, uh, re- revolved around uh, the church. It became everything uh, to the, the whole community now. The church is no longer the center of the community. We no longer have the voice in society. And what, what used to be one nation under God, now it's one nation under whatever. And we no longer have a voice. Why? Because we have sat back, because we are not being persecuted. There is no pressure on us to share with our neighbors who are going to hell. There's no pressure on us to share with uh, our friends who don't know Christ, our family members who don't know Christ. And so therefore, we have lost our voice. And now, because we have not been persecuted, we have been rendered useless, and which is as dangerous, if not more dangerous, than persecution. Because what happens typically under persecution in the history of the church is that under persecution, uh, Christianity grows. People begin to get hungry for what can, you know, it's kind of like your kid, you tell them, don't do this, what do they want to (laughs) do? I want to do that, okay? When you say don't, you cannot be a part of this Christianity, you cannot be a part of following Jesus, the church begins to explode. And so what's happened in our lives is that we have gotten comfortable 
And in the United States, we no longer have a voice. You see, we need to take steps. We, we need to be stronger in our faith. We need to live as peacemakers and take some risks for Jesus. Esther, I, I love the story of Esther as, as she is faced with the, the ability and the opportunity to save her people, to save her nation. She says, if I perish today, I perish. But God created me for this moment, and I must stand for my faith. We need more people today, even though we probably will not be thrown in jail in our lifetimes. We need people who say, you know what, today, if I perish, I perish. If I live my whole life, and this is all I do, then I must share the gospel every day. I must love, I must live as a peacemaker, because that's what God wants me to do. Look at verse 11. In verse 11, Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for, excuse me, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. He, he essentially says, verse 10, that there is a physical persecution that can happen. Verse 11 says there becomes this spiritual battle. battle. Not only is it verbal, but when you begin to live for Christ, there is a, a, a battle that you begin to face that you have never battled before. If you begin to live for Jesus, I'm going to tell you that Satan will show up on your doorstep and he will begin to fight you because the more you want to live for Jesus, the more he wants to battle you not to live for Jesus. And so my question you to, to you today is, if you are not uh, battling against Satan, then where are you spiritually? Because the Bible says that the more that we press towards the kingdom of God, the more we will face the evil one. Ephesians chapter 6 says there's a spiritual battle going on all around us and that we need to guard up, we need to uh, protect ourselves because the battle is real. What happens in our lives is that we do not face that battle because we're really not living for Jesus. We have a Christianity that happens at church on Sunday and is not lived out on Monday. We need to be a people who expect that we're going to have persecution because Satan is going to fight us. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 19, people who thought that they were doing uh, Jesus an injustice said, hey, Jesus, you're the friend of tax collectors and sinners. And they meant that as a slam. Here's what I want you to know. As a believer in Jesus Christ, if you don't have people in your life who don't know Christ, you have the wrong friends. That's not how you're supposed to live. We're supposed to live intentionally looking for people who don't know Christ. I hope that you don't just have Christian friends. I hope that you have friends who don't know Jesus and aren't even close to knowing Jesus and you are loving them in your life and in, in a way that you can show the love of Christ, that you're a peacemaker in their life that can show them that God loves them even though they are not looking for Christ, that you might be the Jesus that they can see. You see, Jesus lived his life that way. So if there's no persecution, if there's no struggle in your life, then maybe your life is not being lived in the right way. But then he says at the end of verse 11, in the middle there, uh, excuse me, verse 12, he says four words that I want you to read with me. Look at your Bible. It says at the beginning of verse uh, 12, rejoice and be glad. Would you say that with me? Rejoice and be glad. Now, pastor, that's kind of crazy. Why would God say persecution is coming? And then he says, rejoice that persecution is coming. Because that doesn't make sense. That's like saying, hey, I got to go to the dentist this week and I'm really happy about it. You know, it's like I've got to have a surgery and, and I'm excited about getting my body cut open, right? That doesn't make sense. But Jesus said this, 
Rejoice and be glad because persecution will come. But the understanding is this. We rejoice because this is not the end. This is all temporary. How can this pastor in Laos live 14 years without his family? How can he be, ha- have his freedom taken away from him and rejoice and be glad? How can Pastor Alex and, and his lineage through his family of his father, how can the persecution that they go through on a regular basis even still, how can they rejoice and be glad? Because this world is not our home. We're just passing through. This is temporary. Jesus understood and wanted us to understand that the persecution will come, but be glad because what matters is what happens eternally, not what happens immediately. In fact, Paul said, hey, I'm torn. If I die, I go to heaven. If I don't die, I stay here and I'm able to glorify Jesus even longer. You see, we're in a battle that we're going to win either way. If we stay, we get to tell more people about the grace of the loving Savior, uh, the, the grace that came from the loving Savior who has brought peace to our life. And if we die, we go to heaven and we get to be with Jesus, who is the ultimate uh, uh, person that we want to spend time with for the rest of eternity, who we get to praise and we get to honor. Why do we want to focus on the temporary? You see, what Jesus said is your reward is heavenly. Look, look what he said. Rejoice and be glad because your reward is great. And it's in heaven. It's great. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we could ask or think according to the great power that is at work in us. What God does when he rewards us is he rewards us like a king does. Because remember, he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. And he gives as a king does. He he gives with great generosity. You know, God always does more for me than I deserve. You see, because what I deserve is hell. (laughs) So anything above that's great. What, what God does for me is not only forgive me of my sin, but he forgets it. Not only does he give me grace, but he gives me mercy. Not only does he uh, look at my past and say it doesn't really matter what you've done in the past, what really matters is the future. I'm willing to set you free, clean you white as snow, and use you for my glory. You see, what God does is he blesses more than what we deserve. You see, because we don't deserve anything that he has given us. Every good and perfect thing that's in your life comes from God. See, God gives as a king. So he says your reward is great, and then he says your reward's in heaven. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and 20 says, Do not lay, for, lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. One of the greatest treasures of my life is getting to lead my children to Christ. You can take my house, you can take my possessions, you can take the $6 I have in the bank, you can take all of that, but you can't take that joy from me. I will take that to heaven with me. I will take my family to heaven with me when I go see Jesus. You see, because that is a reward that is heavenly, not earthly. I spent 10 years as a youth ministry, and if you want to know the truth about it, I'll tell you the scars later. But being a youth minister was fun, and it was exciting, but if you've ever communicated with students, you don't know whether they're listening to you or whether they're thinking about being on Mars. I mean, you you never know. You look into their eyes, and sometimes it's like a hollow look inside there, and you can't tell whether whether they're listening or whether they're not listening. A little secret is they're always listening, they're always watching. So, but... One of the exciting things that I look forward to when I get to heaven is get to see, did God really use me in their lives to make an influence so that they're in heaven and not in hell? 
Because there's some of them that I really didn't know. I really don't know what's going to happen. So when when, when we get to heaven, that that person that I was generous with, that person that I helped out, that person that I shared Christ with and never heard anything back, that person that I met on the street of Sturgis during the bike rally and got to share Christ with them, is, is that person going to be in heaven or not? I don't know. But that reward cannot be taken away from me because it's heavenly. You see, because you can have the nicest house, you can have the nicest cars, you can have the nicest possessions, you can get, gain the greatest achievements in this world, you can build all kinds of money in the bank, but guess what? That all stays here. What you take to heaven is what is eternal. And that's what you've done for Jesus and not for you. And so when you glorify the King of kings and the Lord of lords, then God rewards you in heaven and it is safe. He says in Matthew chapter 6, thieves cannot break in and steal it. It will never rust. It will never get dirty. It will always be there. Now here's the great thing. When you get to heaven and you see all your rewards, you know what you get to do? You get to give that back to Jesus and say, praise God that you are the God of all creation and that you love me enough to give me a reward. You see, that's what it's all about. What you do for Jesus, not what you've done for yourself. You see, the world is looking for peace. And if you look at this passage in Matthew chapter 5, what you find is that all of these blessings and rewards, blessed are you when you recognize that you need a Savior, blessed are you when you recognize your sin, you begin to mourn over it, blessed are you when you become a peacemaker and you begin to take on the characteristics of your heavenly Father, blessed are when you do that. The reward is this, that God begins to give you righteousness that you cannot gain on your own. And that righteousness comes from Jesus. And apart from him, we will never be enough. See, what Jesus wants to do in your life and in my life is he wants to transform us. But the question is this. What are you seeking? Where is your peace? Because the peace will never come from this earth. It will only come from Christ. And if you came here today for some reason that you... Um, don't even know, maybe somebody invited you, maybe you just heard about what's going on, you were in this room. Here's what I want you to know why you're here. You're here because Jesus wanted you to know that apart from him, there is no salvation. That apart from Christ, there is no way to heaven. That the peace that you desire, that you were created to be filled with, will never come apart from God. And so if you're here without a Savior, if you're here and you've never been able to have forgiveness of your sins, if you're here and you have never asked Jesus to be your personal Lord and Savior, here's what I want you to know. God brought you here today so that you could hear the truth of the gospel. And that is that Jesus came to save sinners, of whom I am one, of whom you are. And we are all in the ability to receive God's grace today. So if you've never asked Jesus into your heart to be your Lord and Savior, you've never gained that peace that passes all understanding, you've never had God forgive you of all of your sins and not had to to worry about what is in your past but only can worry about what's in your future and live the righteousness that God will give you in your heart. If you've never had that and you want that today, what I want you to know is that Jesus wants to give it to you. And he's here. And in just a moment, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And the prayer is not magic. The words are not magic. It's just a communication between you and a heavenly father that's going to say, God, it's all about you and it's not about me. And I give you my life. If you want to pray that prayer, I'm going to ask that you bow your head. Everybody across this room, just bow your head, close your eyes. If you already know Jesus, would you just pray this morning that those who need to accept Christ would have the courage to do that? 
Because I believe in this room there's someone who doesn't know Jesus. And today they need a Savior. If you need to pray that prayer, if this is the the time that, that God has brought you here for, and you need to ask Jesus into your heart to be your Lord and Savior, right now where you are, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, you can pray this prayer silently with me. You can say, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for going to the cross for my sins. Thank you for making a way for me to have forgiveness. Lord, I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe that you are willing to forgive me. I believe that you were buried in a tomb and on the third day you proved the world wrong. You proved the whole creation wrong. You got up out of that grave and you're alive. Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart to forgive me of my sin. I confess to you everything that I've ever done wrong and ask that you would wash me as white as snow. Lord, that you would make me more like you, that there would be a righteousness in my life today. When you pray that prayer, Jesus said that he will come into your heart and he will save you. He will forgive you. He will cleanse you. He will change you. And you will have a peace that you were created to have. If you prayed that prayer, in just a moment, we're going to We're going to close in prayer. We're going to take up an offering on your card. There's a place for you to check. I'd like more information about becoming a Christian. Please check that. We promise we will walk with you in that journey. We're not just saying pray a prayer and then live the rest of your life. We're saying pray a prayer and let us walk with you in your new journey of following Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you made a way for us to have peace. God, we don't know what it's like to be persecuted. And right now, Lord, we pray for people all over this planet who today will lose their lives for Jesus. We pray for those who will be persecuted because of their righteousness and their faith in in Christ. Lord, we pray for churches that are meeting in secret today because they love Jesus and they want to worship Jesus and they've got to hide because the authorities will throw them in jail. God, would you give them courage? And I pray that their courage would inspire others to know the Jesus that has saved the world. God, would you inspire us to not be complacent, to not be self-centered, but instead, Father, to live bold lives of peace. Lord, so that people can see Jesus in us. Although we will probably not go to jail for our faith, God, may we live with courage knowing that there is a world out there who needs Christ. Lord, may may we be people of peace who loves the world, not judges them, but loves them with grace. Lord, that we live our lives to glorify you. God, thank you that our reward is not caught up with earthly things, but God, that the heavenly things are what really matters. God, would you give us the courage to step out and to be a peacemaker and to take the grace and the love and the mercy of a heavenly Father to them. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you never gave up on us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer and you asked Jesus into your heart, we really do want to walk with you in that journey. I'm going to encourage you to take a moment to check on that card, drop it in the offering plate, and we will contact you this week.